Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Let's praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Word of God. And here we study the Bible. We aim to study from the book of Genesis to Revelation. We completed the Old Testament. Now we're handling the New Testament. And we are at the book of Matthew, which I want to uh, continue with today. We've done 16 chapters so far from the book of Matthew. And we want to continue today with chapter 17 of this book of Matthew. And it tells us that six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. Uh, what happens here, there's Peter. Of course, we know Peter as a leader in this group of disciples that Jesus has. James and John are brothers. yeah, And these Jesus takes with him. These he sets aside uh, there's always those who are closer. Um, when we always sing and talk and say, draw me closer, uh, we th- this is a deeper implication that there are those who draw closer to Christ and there are those who choose to stay a bit far. And like anybody who has people they move with or they associate with, there are those people that get closer to you than the rest do. Yeah, Those that we sometimes referred to as friends, yeah? Or closer friends. Some of us use the word best friends, yeah? I I wouldn't want to say Jesus had best friends, but these men, Peter, James, and John, his brother, uh, were close to him. Oh, he selected them from among the many. And how I pray and uh, hope that we draw closer to Christ, that we are not seen with the rest, but we are closer to him that we have close association with him. Of course, how do you gain that? Is walking with him, is reading his word, is having fellowship with him, then you'll feel him closer. There are moments where he will be there with you, but then you will have that closer feeling. And these guys are close to him, and he goes with them on a high mountain. Yeah, And the Bible says in verse 2, he was transfigured before them while they were watching. He was transfigured before them. This they saw. This they witnessed the transfiguration that was happening. They saw with their own eyes. Yeah, And what is going on here, of course, is something special. What is going on here is something they have not seen before. I mean, they went up the mountain not knowing what they're going to experience. Probably they thought we were just going to have a time uh, to pray. But now there's a transfiguration that happens to transfigure. It means to transform into something more beautiful or something that is more elevated. Yeah, And this is what happens with Christ where they're there with him. He is transformed into something more beautiful. He is transformed into something with a higher elevation than that which they normally 
uh, see with their own eyes. And he does this before them. While they are seeing, while they are watching, he is transfigured. And the Bible says, his face shone like the sun. Yeah? And his garments became as white as light. When they are witnessing the man they came up the mountain with, with the man they came talking to, having conversation as they came on their way up the mountain, right now is right now his face is shining like the sun. Right now his garments are as white as light. That is the elevation that he has received. It's not the same as they are. He's not the same anymore. He's not just with the normal face that they were looking at as they came talking while coming up the mountain. Right now, they can't look into his face because it is shining like the sun. Yeah, while we're studying the book of Genesis, we, we, we looked at the sun and how the sun um, functions and how you can't even draw closer than 90 million miles while we're talking about it here on earth. Otherwise, you'll be burnt. Now, this is uh, a, a context that is being given us to show us how bright his face was. And they could not come close to him because his face was shining. His garments were as white as light. And this happens in the presence of God. This is what happens and that's what they're witnessing. And behold, just like that, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Just like that, Moses and Elijah appear to them. And they're talking with Jesus. How did they know this was Moses and this was Elijah? It's for us to tell. How do they even get the comparison and know? Did they have photos that were had been drawn that show the face of Moses or Elijah? That is something to tell. But they are able to witness and recognize that this is Moses and this is Elijah. And they are talking to Jesus. And right there in the presence of God, they, have, they receive the ability to tell because it is by revelation. Remember, Peter is a man of revelation. Earlier on, he's just had the revelation that this Jesus they're talking about is the Christ. He's not like any other prophet. He's the Christ. And right here, as they see Moses and Elijah, there's revelation that these are the people. I don't think they had photos. Of course, there were no cameras then that they knew that this is the man they're talking to or looking at or who is talking to Jesus is Moses or Elijah. But they're able to tell by revelation that this is Moses. This is Elijah. And we are not given the conversation that these two were having with Jesus. Whatever this conversation was, we shall wait for that day and inquire and know. What exactly were they talking about? But this is a great moment. This is a great moment where special things are happening. And Peter, always a man that makes sure he is in charge and makes sure he's taking the show, he says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, I think the feeling that they had in that presence, first of all, with the light that is beaming everywhere. And now they have some of the greatest men in the history of Israel. Moses, who led the Israelites out of captivity. Elijah, a great prophet that the land of Israel ever got to know. And they feel this is the best place. They want to stay there. 
they don't want it to end. You know, when you're in the presence of God and things are happening and you're enjoying everything that is going on, you want to remain there. You don't want to go. You don't want to step an inch away. And that's the feeling you can understand what Peter is going through here. He's saying, we don't have to leave this place. Let us just uh, make three tabernacles here. He's telling Jesus, let us make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, it's interesting that they do not even include theirs because they know in this place, in the presence of God, all that matters is his presence. It doesn't matter. He's not thinking about where he himself, Peter, James, and John will sleep. No, he's saying we're just going to make three. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. While Peter is thinking about where they are going to sleep, while Peter is thinking about the fact that they should not go anywhere, they should stay there forever, there is a cloud that comes, a bright cloud, and it overshadows them, and there comes a voice out of the cloud. Now, this voice is the Lord himself. So, right in their presence, they have Jesus, who is the Christ. They have Moses. They have Elijah. And they have God himself, who is there. Because this cloud that comes is in representation of him, and the voice that comes out is his own voice. Because he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Where Peter, James, and John were standing is a place that not many can access. Is a place of greatness at that time. Not many. There are so many who would have wished to be part and parcel of this trip. But it's only these three who were chosen to be part of it now. Here, because Jesus came and he died for us and gave us access to the throne room, we access the throne room on a daily. We access the presence of God on a daily. Each and every day we have the mandate to go into the presence of God and have a greatness that you would somewhat get similar to this which these guys were experiencing at this time of the transfiguration with the presence of four. Now, for us, we have the presence of God. We can just wake up in the morning and say, I want to go before God. And you have direct access to the throne room. You have direct access to the presence of God. You have direct access to the things of God. And how amazing that is. How God has loved us, that he has brought us close to him, that we can just access and go through and walk through. And meet him. You can choose to dance. Say, today I want to go before God. And he has your audience. He will just be there waiting for you. And now, what these people had to get by transfiguration, events, we access on a daily. How God has been loving. How amazing God has been for us all. That he has given us access to this greatness. And now, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That is a statement that was made at the baptism of Jesus, you remember. 
with John the Baptist. Only this time there is an addition. Listen to him. There he had not started preaching. There wasn't anything probably that they were telling them to listen to. But now, right now, they are told, listen to him. We've got to listen to Jesus. We have got to listen to what he is telling us. We've got to listen to what he's telling the church. We've got to listen to the voice of Jesus. There are people who Jesus will use as his vessels to speak. And today may be one of them. And I'm speaking as a vessel. And I tell you, listen to him. How? Through the word. Read your Bible. See what he has told us to do. Read about the commandments he has left for us to do. Read about the life he demands for us to live. What he has told us to do. The life he has told us to live. The attitude he's telling us to have. The character that he's telling us to build. Listen to that and do it. It's not just enough for us to just hear and not do. We have got to make an extra step to do. A good listener is a doer. When you listen, you do. You don't just listen and leave it there. You listen and do. And that is what is demanded of us. There are people who've made themselves Christ. That for for whatever they have to say is what has to be done. And they're saying that Christ has said. I'm speaking the Lord has told me. Yet it's not true. But at least we know. If we are unsure of everybody that is speaking in the name of Christ today, on the world today, on the earth today, on the pulpit today, we know that the Bible has given us clear understanding of what Jesus demands of us. The Bible has given us a clear understanding, clear statements, clear commandments, words that we have got to follow. And these are the words of Jesus. Even if I'm unsure about what everybody is saying, I am sure what Jesus is saying. I'm very sure because I read it in his word. If I do not trust the pulpit anymore, I trust the Bible. That is it. I'll trust the word of God because he's given it to me. And he says, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell first down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. Jesus sees what these men have witnessed clearly. Even if it was you or me, would be terrified by what we've seen. The experiences that people tell you about or we read about of people witnessing such great moments and they're terrified and they're afraid. And this is possible for any normal human. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Now, the others have left. The cloud is gone. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. It's Jesus alone. And they see him. And they're like, okay, things have returned to normal. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Because he's going to die, but he will rise. Jesus speaks about his future. He talks about what is coming. And he tells them, Do not tell anybody about what you have witnessed until I rise from the dead. And as his, and his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and we restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished 
so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. What is Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about here that Elijah came already? Now, this is the context of what is being said here. He is saying, remember from history, Elijah did not die. He was taken up into heaven. We read about that. And now, he's saying, Elijah came. And when he came, they have not recognized him. They did not recognize him. And whatever they wished, they did to him. And he also adds that he, as Christ himself, is going to suffer at their hands, which means that the people that he's talking about that tortured Elijah are the same people that are going to torture him. The people that he's talking about that treated, that did not recognize Elijah are the same people that are going to treat him in the way that they treated Elijah, which is suffering, tormenting, and causing him to die because that is what they did to this Elijah as he's speaking. Then at that point, the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the Elijah that they are talking about. John the Baptist is the Elijah that Jesus is talking about here, that he returned, he came, and now he suffered at their hands, and they tortured him, and they killed him. And this is amazing, because we may not get into the discussion of what exactly happened that in, in that, that uh, understanding of Elijah and uh, John the Baptist being the same, but what we know is if Christ mentions it, then that is it. We'll ask ourselves questions. When did he, does it, does it mean that he had to come, be born at the second time and all? Those are mysteries that we may never get, but we are told here that he returned. Some may say it is in the spirit of Elijah, calling it the spirit of Elijah that was manifesting through John the Baptist. That is also another discussion we can have. Verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. First, imagine how much trouble this man is going through. Jesus returning from his transfiguration, he returns to a man that is troubled, a man who's got a child that often, not sometimes, often falls into the fire and often falls into the water. This means he has to be with this boy all the time because he does not know what he's going to do. Before he knows it, the boy is in the water. Before he knows it and they've lit a fire, the boy is in the fire. And this man is deeply troubled by what is going on with his son. And he's running to Jesus, who's just returned with Peter, James, and John. And he says, I brought this boy of man to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Of course, James... John and Peter are not part of this group they're talking about because they've been with Jesus. I think they must have been looking and saying, okay, now you guys are in hot soup. You failed to do this? And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? He's talking to the disciples. Bring him here to me. He's talking to the disciples saying, guys, 
How long? I've been with you for a while. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me heal the sick. How long? Sometimes that question comes to us as well. Who are living today? And things are happening and people are seeking deliverance and it's not happening. And it's us who are mandated because Christ has given us the authority to do so. It's not happening. And the question remains to us as well. How long? But Jesus says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. And the demon came out of him. And the boy was cured at once. What was causing this suffering? What was causing this boy being a lunatic, being ill, falling into fire, falling into water, was a demon. There are demons that have got to be cast out. Out of your life for illness to live. Out of your life for this lunatic issue to end. Out of your life for acts of falling into fire and falling into water. Out of your life, there are demons that are responsible for the torture that you're going through. And they've got to be cast out. And when they're cast out, you will not suffer anymore. And when they're cast out, your church member won't suffer anymore. Your neighbor won't suffer anymore. Your family member won't suffer anymore because they're demons. Not that everything is a demon. But here, Christ makes it clear that what is bringing all this upon this young man is a demon. And he casts it out. And the boy is cured immediately. May whatever is torturing you, whatever demon is upon your life, be cast out in the name of Jesus. That you may receive full life. Whatever causes God's children to suffer, in the name of Jesus, be cast out. Whatever brings illness, whatever demon brings illness upon your life, be cast out in the name of Jesus. That you may receive full life. Whatever brings fear in the night, torture in the night, whatever demon it is that brings all sorts of evil upon your life, be cast out in the name of Jesus and receive full life. That's what Jesus does for this boy. And this boy is totally cured. There's no demon in him anymore. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. He's telling them, it is the faith that you have that is blocking you. But if you have just a small, just small faith, the size of a mustard seed, you will do the impossible. And he adds this, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. He's telling them the demon I've just cast out. That kind cannot go except by prayer and fasting. Now, there are those demons that will be cast out without, just by the authority of Christ that you have, you will speak and it will live. But then there are those which will be cast out after there's been preparation by you. You've had some prayer time, serious prayer time. You've had some fasting time. You've gone and set yourself aside. And we have to be able to ascertain and know, okay, what am I dealing with right now? Yeah? Because this that the disciples were dealing with that day was not one that was of jokes. It was one that needed a separation. It needed people who have separated themselves, taken themselves through a time of prayer and fasting, not just eating. And they were probably uh, the, the type that had done that. 
And Jesus is making it clear to us that there are some things that we are not going to overcome unless we pray and fast. And I want to tell you, for whatever has persisted long in your life, and you've cast out and you've done everything that you've done, and it is still there, you're going to step up another level. You're entering a period of prayer and fasting. And let me tell you, do that with intention and it will flee in the name of Jesus because Jesus says it. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. He's telling them about what is going to come. Verse 24, as we finish up today for this chapter 17. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, now the drachma tax is also known as the temple tax, yeah, that they were collecting uh, through the people. Of course, this tax was, it wasn't very clear. Sometimes there was already arguments about it, but it had to be paid to help make sure that the temple is running and functioning very well. And, uh, the people who collect it came and talked to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? They're asking, does he pay the tax or not? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs, all poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then sons are exempt. What does he mean? Whatever you're collecting, I'm in charge of. Whatever you're collecting should be from strangers, not from sons. Because sons are exempt. Jesus himself is the son. Now who, with the temple tax being collected, who is in charge of the temple? Who has authority over the temple? Who is being worshipped in the temple? The Lord Almighty. And this is the Son. And you should be exempt from that. Practically, whatever you're collecting to bring is to me. But then he says to him, however, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Jesus says, we are not going to offend them. We do not have to give this tax, but let us do it anyway so that we don't offend them. You know, there are some things that uh, you may not have to do because just by the virtue of who you are and whatever you have uh, attained, you feel you do not have to do it. And it may not even make meaning in the real sense for you to do it, but you do it so that you do not have offend people you will pay their tax. Even if you know that your authority is with God, is the is your government, the one you follow. It is the kingdom you subscribe to, but you will pay the tax here when the customs come because that is the rule of the land. You don't offend them in any way. And there is a miracle that happens here that I don't want us to, to, to miss out. Jesus tells Peter, you go, get a fish. You're a fisherman. Go, get your hook, Throw it in. And the first fish, he's saying the first fish that you pick, not the second, but the first fish, when you get it, you'll open its mouth and there's a shekel. And you take that 
and pay our tax for me and you. He's paying tax for himself, Jesus, and for Peter. Now, he's not paying for the rest of the disciples. That implies they have to pay their tax. So these guys were not also people who, are, who should just sit around. They had to work. It shows us that they had they were expected to have some money on them to work. Leaders have got to work. Spiritual authorities or leaders also have to get out and work. Have some money on yourself because there is tax to pay. Don't offend others by saying for us we do not do this. No, no, no. Get out and work and pay. But there is a miracle here. When Jesus wants money, it's in a fish. Wherever this fish got this shekel, it could have jumped out of a merchant's boat or ship and this fish swallowed it. But that shows you how much provision God can be interested in as far as your life is concerned, that he will provide for you to that detail. There's money that you can pick and get miraculously. But then there's that you'll work for. Please don't get me wrong. But in this case, there's miracle provision. And there are some things that God is going to do and orchestrate in your life to happen that you did not expect. There are riches that are going to be orchestrated in your life that you did not expect. And Jesus is planning it. He's positioning it for you. And you reach there. And you'll open the mouth of the fish. And right there will be the money. And we pray for miracles. We pray for grace. We pray for favor upon our lives. In Jesus' my name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com.